in your your Bibles, if you would, <clears throat> to well, come on now. Psalm chapter 42. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 42. Last week, tonight. Well, tonight. I, let me kind of explain. Tonight is more of a teaching kind of a message. Oh, and before I get too too much further, um, uh, Patricia got word that Larry has boarded the plane. So uh, <laughs> that's always. One step closer. <laughs> yes. So, uh, um, but anyway, um, this this evening's message is is more of a teaching kind of a message, uh, and the reason for that is last week we <clears throat> we talked about emotional pain, uh, and that up till now, Job had experienced what we would classify or categorize as emotional pain. And so we talked about that some last week, and I believe that Satan attacks believers uh, in the same way today. Uh, Emotional emotional pain is something that a lot of of, uh, Christians uh, are dealing with in a very real uh, and a very strong way. And... I felt like last week that I did not explain it well enough. Uh, does that make sense? I had a lot of kind of blank stares last week. Uh, so I felt like <clears throat> there were a few of us that <clears throat> felt like you maybe were drinking out, out of a fire hydrant because um, I was dumping a lot of information. And, and so I, I felt like it, it, would, it would be good for us to kind of go back, take a step back, and, and talk about this for a minute, because so many people deal with it, um, and it is something that um, is a, is a major problem in in churches today. So, anyway, uh, last week we talked about some of the different types of emotional pain: the uh, overwhelming fear, um, a, a, a obsessive compulsive behavior. Uh, detachment from people, um, uh, emotional num- numbness, uh, depression, guilt, uh, especially if somebody has passed away, uh, shame, uh, disbelief, irritability, anger, anxiety, panic attacks, and the list goes on and on and on. I, I know of people in this room who have dealt with panic attacks. And one of the one of my fears is that see I want to I'm going to be very very careful how I say this because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say. There are stupid Christians that will say if you have emotional struggles you're not right with God yes okay and and they'll point their finger at you and they'll accuse you of sin in your life and all of this stuff okay 
Now, what my attempt is tonight is to help us understand the origin of some of these emotional things. Does that make sense? Because if you don't understand the origin, then when a panic attack comes or anxiety or anger or irritability and and these things come on you, then you will not react well. But if you understand the origin and how or or how these things occur in your life, then hopefully it will help you. Okay, uh, let's go back to our picture that you're unable to read. But um, and again, if anybody wants a copy of this, I can print you a copy of this. It's in this particular format. It's it, the the uh, pixels are so so bad that by the time you blow it up on here, it's so distorted, you can't really read it. <clears throat> but, <laughs> yeah, it looks like Hebrew, yeah. Um, uh, okay, unbelief. Now, is there, that? before I go any further, I want you to tell me, okay, we're, this is more of a, like I said, this is more of a teaching time than it is preaching, okay? So we're going to be talking back and forth tonight. Is unbelief and and not being right with God, is that the same thing? No. Two separate things. So if somebody points their finger at you and says, oh, you just need to get right with God, throw something at them. Okay? (laughs) Not now, Bob. (laughs) Okay? Now, this, this whole thing here, unbelief, leads to discontentment. Discontentment will take one of two routes. It'll take you over to anxiety. And this is where, mo- I, I, again, this is my opinion, but I believe that most Christians that, that struggle with emotional pain are on this side of the, 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 the square, whatever that is, octagon or whatever, Okay. Most of us live over here. So, unbelief leads to discontentment. Discontentment leads to anxiety and or anger. Now, can both of these be exhibited at the same time? Absolutely they can, okay? (laughs) Uh, um, But all of this leads to this, despair. And what happens when despair happens? You get depressed. I, I heard on the news this last week, and, and, and maybe you can help me if you've heard something different, but I heard this week since 2000, I think it was 2000, suicide rate is up by two-thirds in our country. Yeah, and among teens, it's, it is, it's off the chart. And why is that? It's it's because of this right here. See, it is all. See, we have we have taken God out of our schools, thus re- removing belief. So then, what happens? These young people grow up having everything, and they and they are actually discontented 
because I want a faster car. I want a bigger truck. I want a, a newer this or newer that. And so they get it, and what happens? It's not good enough. It's not fast enough. It's not big enough. It doesn't do, you know. And then, and then anger and, and anxiety set in, and then finally despair and suicide rate is skyrocketing. And the, the sad thing is, there's very little disparity between the churched and the unchurched with the, with the suicide rate. So something is bad wrong in churches in America today. <clears throat> so, anxiety, anger, and despair. Now, here we, we're talking about these three things right here. Well, well actually, let's, let's just talk about all four of these. If, if I were a psychiatrist or a psychologist, what would I call these? Disorders. Okay, disorders, but something a little bit more specific than that. They're symptoms, are they not? Okay, anger is a symptom of what's going on. Okay, um, uh, Tuesday, uh, I'm going in for knee surgery. Why am I going in for knee surgery? It's because my knee hurts. Okay? The symptom is what? A sore knee. But when they go in, you know, until they actually do the surgery, they don't know what is actually causing the pain. What happens? Well, okay, I I got a better illustration for you. My right foot, you know the... The second toe over from you got your baby toe here, then your your second this 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 toe right here. Yeah, your ring toe. Okay, <clears throat> not on me, baby. Um, but that that <laughs> okay, that toe, like right now, is numb, and it's always numb. I, I it's been like that for for years, and occasionally. If I step just right, I get a shooting pain where it feels like somebody takes a knife and jabs it right in the top of my foot. And I was coming, about a year ago, I was coming down the stairs at my house, and I stepped just right, and I almost did an endo down the stairs because my, I mean, the pain was just excruciating. So I called my, my podiatrist, and I, I, and I said, well, it's at the VA, and I told, well, I didn't call her. I called the, the scheduler and said, I got to get in and see the doc as soon as possible. So I went in, I don't know, a week or so later, and I said, I, sitting at the, on, the, on, the, on the thing, I said, doc, I said, you got to do something. My foot is killing me. So she's poking around and doing this and jabbing it, and, and she cannot mimic the pain in my foot. And she said, I, I, I'm here to tell you the problem's not in your foot. And she pulls out this chart of the body. And she says, see, see this, this yellow thing right here? So that's a nerve. And that nerve leaves, well, it, it actually leaves your back, runs down your leg through your knee, and right straight to that toe. Actually, you've got a few nerves that do that. 
and and but that that particular nerve goes right to that toe. And so and she said, the problem is not in your foot; it's in your back. So what was I trying to do? I was trying to treat the symptom, but the but but the problem was is way up here. See, and that's what happens in our lives. We get angry. So what do we do? We try to deal with anger in our lives. Right? Wrong. If somebody comes to me normally, if somebody comes to me and they say, they say, Pastor, I've been having uh, panic attacks, which actually, since I've been a pastor, the last 10 years, this, this conversation has taken place many times. And they, they'll say, can you, can you help me with my panic attacks? And my question, or my answer normally is, well, I, I, I think I can help, but it's really up to you. Because the problem is not panic attacks. What's the problem? The problem is in your back. Not in your foot. See what I'm saying? And way too often we want to deal with the symptoms. What does the world say when a person, when a young person comes into their uh, psychiatrist's office and they're depressed? They give them drugs. Why? Why? Because they're dealing with the symptom, not the problem. And the same thing happens in the church. <clears throat> okay, Ashley, I'm putting away the pointer. <laughs> she hates my blue point or green pointer. <clears throat> okay, Psalm chapter 42 is an incredible passage. But we're going to read this and we're going to pause at different places. I'm going to comment it. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. What is what is what is the animal here? The heart? No, it's a deer. Okay, it's a deer. Have you ever seen a deer that's been running through the forest that is absolutely exhausted and has to drink? They they are they are like ravishing the ravishing animal. I mean, it, it is. You do not want to get between a buck and water when he's thirsty. It is not going to be pretty. Okay, just saying. So as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Now we read that and we go, yes, isn't that cool? Keep reading. My soul thirsteth for thee, uh, for, for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night. What is David saying here? My tears have been my meat for, uh, for day and night. It means he's, his only sustenance has been drinking the tears that have fallen to his mouth. While they continually say unto me, where is thy God? See, David is, starts off 
verses 1 and 2, and he's saying, As a deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul for God. Why? Because he was in distress. He, was, he, had, he had gone past the, the point of just wanting to get to know God. He needed God. Verse 4, when I remember these things, I, I pour out my soul uh, in me. For I had gone with the multitude and went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a holy day. Why, verse 5, please get underlined this statement. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? What was David saying? 21st century vernacular. He, w- he was depressed. He, he, had, he had gone through the anxiety and the anger and he had and he had reached the bottom of the chart why why is my soul cast down o oh, my soul why art thou disquieted within me hope thou in god for i shall yet praise him for help of his countenance o oh, my god my soul is cast down within me therefore i will remember thee for from the land of Jordan, of the 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 Hamorites and the and the uh, from the hill of Mazar. Deep calleth unto deep, as the noise of thy uh, water spout. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command His loving kindness in in the, in the day. In the night, in the night, his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto God is my life. I will say unto God, my my rock, why hast thou forsaken me? Why go I mourning because of the uh, the oppression of mine enemies, as with a sword in my uh, uh, in my bones, mine enemies reproach me. While, uh, while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance, O my God. Now, <clears throat> let's talk about this for a minute. Is depression a real thing? Yes, Absolutely it is. We just read David. David was depressed. But what was David's answer? God. He starts off the psalm, and as as the deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Now, how many of you are familiar with the song that goes along with that? As the deer, I believe, is the name of the song. Okay? Now, I, I read this many, many, many years ago, so I don't know the accuracy of it. I've tried to research it, and I, I can't find the origin of the song. But I read a story back probably 15 or 20 years ago about the author of that song. And if I remember correctly, what he was saying was he had, met, he had gotten to a point of, of, of despair in his own life. And he locked himself in his room until he heard from God. 
And after he had heard from God, he wrote that song. See, this song, the, the song and this psalm are not a, a joyful searching and longing for God. This is anguish and hurt and, and, and despair. If you understand that, now that let's read it again. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul for, for God. After thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? David was broken. David was beyond distress. He, was, he had reached the point of despair. But he knew that his answer was in God. Now, those of you that have struggled with uh, depression or, or um, panic attacks and those, those type of things, or anger and all of these things, how many times, now don't raise your hand, that this is between you and God, uh, but how many times have you thought, God's the answer, but where is he? See, we've all been there, haven't we? Emotional pain is difficult to overcome. Why is that? Anybody? Well, it's a matter of the heart, but its tentacles go deep into our lives. I liken, I liken emotional pain to the root of a tree. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up troubleth you, <clears throat> whereby many are to uh, be defiled. Here we see in, in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, bitterness, and bitterness is part of emotional pain, by the way, uh, being described as a root what happens with roots? <laughs> yeah, they spread. And they get into every nook and cranny. So, anger, anxiety, despair, discouragement are all symptoms of a deeper problem. Hebrews chapter 12, verses uh, 2 and 3. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who uh, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Excuse me. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your mind. The root of bitterness, or, or excuse me, the root of, of anxiety can run rampant in your life. The, the root of fear, the root of guilt, the root, and you can fill in the blank. And it will absolutely destroy your life if it's not dealt with. Mark chapter 4, verse 40. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? 
So how how do we... Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Problem. We interpret what we know about God. We filter what we know about God through our experiences. Do we not? Uh, Someone who has oftentimes... And unfortunately, this is way too common in our society. But someone who has been either emotionally or physically abused in, in, their, in their youth have a hard, if not impossible, time trusting authority. Why, why is that? Because they filter everything they know about God through their experiences. Is that how we are supposed to act? No, we are to filter what we know about God through what? His word. So when we, again, I want to bring this out just because it's right at the top of my thinking. This this last week, we we had the joy of being bored to death with the impeachment hearings in Washington, D.C., And I was sickened by how many times I heard our elected officials look at government officials who are getting paid to do a job and asking the question, well, how did that make you feel? I don't care how it made you feel. Okay? What is the problem with that question? Well, it, it, it's, not, it's not that it's... It, I'm not talking in a legal sense. I'm talking about it in an emotional sense. Our feelings don't matter. And, and, and they change. So, so, so we, we as believers need to get away from our feelings. Now you say, but pastor, that's impossible. I know it's impossible, but we still have to do it. <laughs> because, okay, question... Did I, I don't I don't I'm not even close to being anyway. Did God make us to be emotional beings? Yes. So what's wrong with being emotional? Emotions. Nothing. There's nothing wrong with being emotions. Uh, emotional, as long as we control our emotions. Our emotions were never designed by God to control us. So, if we reject what God says, and most people do reject what God says, then we live in a fantasy world. Do question? I got. I've got four questions here, and this and this is these are four very important questions. Question number one. Do we live in a world where God does not love us? No. Question number two. Do we live in a world where God is not in control of all things for our good and his glory? 
Now, now, now let me, before you answer this, let me, let me read it again. Okay? Do we live in a world where God is not in control of all things for our good and his glory? No, we do not. God is in control of all things for your good and his glory. Number three, do we live in a world where God is not with me or does not hear my cry? When David poured out his heart in Psalm 42, did God hear him? Absolutely he did. I should have looked it up, but there's a there's a verse I shared. Actually, I shared it recently here in church. There's a verse that that would give you the idea that God collects our tears in a bottle. Question number four: Do we live in a world where God is heavy-handed and mean-spirited? No, we do not. But that is the exact kind of world that most people believe we live in. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, describes what the real world should look like. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That should be the real world for you and for me. Now, the key to that verse is the word need. He will supply all your need. Not your wants, not your desires, but your needs. So, let's go to the problem and understand unbelief. The title of my message, if you're keeping notes, is unbelief to belief. What does it take to to make the journey from unbelief to belief? It really is quite simple. And it starts with us determining that God is enough. When we understand that God is enough for everything that comes into our lives, then and only then can we believe. If there's any doubt, if there's any doubt that God, yes, God can do 90% of what I need, that is not belief. It is determining in your mind that God is enough. Philippians chapter 4, verses uh, 11 to 13. Not, and I think I read this this morning, actually. Um, uh, not that I speak uh, in respect of want, for I have hurt, learned in whatsoever state that I'm in, wherewith to be content. I know both how to abase and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am in, in, instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the emphasis in these three verses is the word learned. I can, let's see, let me, let me go back and find it. Uh, I think it's in verse 1, Chris. Can you go back to verse 1, uh, or verse uh, 11? Not that I, ha- uh, re- uh, not that I respect, uh, speak in respect of want, for I have learned. What, you, you tell me, what does that word mean? It's not a trick question, Okay. Occasionally I do that to you, but not tonight. It's not a trick question. <laughs> Brandon's back there. I ain't saying a word, man. <laughs> okay. What, what does it mean to learn? Come on, it's not. I'm, I'm serious. It's not a trick question. Okay, go through the experiences. See what what is Paul saying? He's he's saying this. He says he says. I have learned both how to abase and how to abound. What does that mean? I've learned through experience how to live with everything, and I've learned through experience how to live with nothing. I know how to... uh, 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 everywhere and in everything I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and suffer need. Again, Paul is, is, is telling us, hey, I've learned how to do these things. So my question then becomes, do you see an underlying theme so far about what I've been talking about. Hopefully, it'll make sense when I say it. Belief is a learned skill. You don't wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm just going to believe. You don't do that. How... How do we move from unbelief to belief? Do we we just turn on a switch and say, okay, I'm good. It is through the trials of life that God brings us through that we learn how to be content with all things. What is... Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Point number one, uh, learning to believe. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 6, it says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrines which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting question, uh, doting about uh, questions and <clears throat> strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, envy, uh, evil uh, surmisings, perverse disputings of men, 
of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such, withdraw thyself. And this is, this is where I wanted to get to. But godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, be content with such things as you have. True wealth in God's structure of life is godliness that is mature enough to produce contentment. Let me let me read that for you for let me read that to you again. True wealth in God's structure of life is a is a godliness that is mature enough to produce contentment. When I was on my first mission trip, I was I was gone for five weeks. <laughs> Five and a half way. It was gone. It was gone way, way too long. And the missionary that I was with took us to what he called the Highlands, because where where we were building his house was down in the Low Country, near near the coast, uh, in the jungle, but it was near the coast. <clears throat> but he we took we took a few days, and I mean it was just so hot, and it was just so brutally hot there. Um, he said, you know, we need a break. Let's let's go up in the mountains and. It's a lot cooler up there. So we went up there, and we went into a village where uh, the, the, the little people, uh, you know, seven, eight years and, and under, had never seen a white man. And, and, they, and they, they were, they were they, the, the, these little girls were coming up and just touching me. <laughs> like, boy, is he real, you know? Uh, it, was, it was really weird. But it, it was an amazing learning process for me because these people in the highlands live differently than the than the village that we were working in they they lived in these little round huts the ones the, the ones uh, down in the low country because of all the, the snakes and all the critters and stuff that they, they actually were, were houses on stilts kind of basically bamboo but you know anyway <clears throat> but we we got to stick our heads into one of these one of these um, Highland homes, and it, it would you could fit probably five or six of them in this room. And I I, I walked in and and, and you, you kind of have to imagine it, it's it the, the, it's round and about this high all the way around is like a hard wooden wall, and then from there. It's just all thatch, all the way to the top, and and it's it's cone shaped. And we we stuck our I stuck my head in there, and it took a second for my eyes to adjust because it was so dark. But in the very center was a fire pit, and along the sides were some cots, obviously homemade cots. And that, that was basically it. And as I got to know the people that lived in these 
villages. I saw a contentment and a peace that far surpassed anything that we can experience here. People with nothing singing and praising Jesus for saving their souls. People with nothing just as happy and contented. And to be perfectly honest, if you offered to build them a house, they'd have probably said, no, I don't want it. Well, for one reason, they got really grossed out with the idea of the outhouse being in the house. That, that, they, they, <laughs> yeah, the, 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 yeah, the chief was like, you know, no, 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 no. But anyway, see, godliness with contentment is great gain. And if we're going to make the jump from unbelief to belief, I believe it's one of the things that starts with this is with contentment. Rick walked in tonight, <clears throat> and I said, how you doing, buddy? And he says, not good. And I said, what's the matter? He's like, what would you call it, Dark Friday? This, this whole Dark Friday thing. And I said, Dark Friday, what are you, what are you talking about? And he's like, and I think Bob said, or somebody said, oh, they call it Black Friday. He says, I call it Dark Friday. He says, everybody running around and shopping and getting this and getting that. And, 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 you know, and, and, and he's right. It's, it, is, it is the epitome of our world today of no contentment. We've got to have the latest of this and the biggest of that and so on and so forth. A guy named uh, Thomas Watson wrote the following. He said, The doctrine of contentment is superlative or superior, and until we learn this, we have not learned to be Christians. Did you get that? Let me me read this to you again because this is absolutely key. The doctrine of contentment is is very superlative, and until we learn this, we have no uh, excuse me, we have not learned to be Christians. We cannot be like Christ and clamor for the things of this world. It's impossible. He goes on to say, uh, in a, in a in a statement trying to define contentment, he said contentment uh, does not appear only now and then as some stars which are seen but but seldom. It is a settling temperament of the heart. That's what contentment is. Listen to David and when he as he writes verse 1 of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? What? In other words, what he's saying is because God is in control, he's the shepherd, I'm the sheep, because he's in control, I'm good. Let 
Now, those of you that are going Black Friday shopping, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to take a shot at you, but, but it, it, it's true. Jim Berg, Jim Berg wrote this. The opposite of unbelief, discontent, uh, excuse me, the opposite of unbelieving discontentment is the, great, the gratefulness of a heart full of joy and peace because of what it believes is about, uh, excuse me, because of what it believes is true about God. So what Jim Berg is saying here in a nutshell is that the opposite of unbelieving discontentment, the opposite of that is joy and peace. So when we believe, when we, when we put our trust in our God, then we've crossed from unbelief to belief. And as, our, as life happens, and it happens to all of us, and anger and dis- discouragement and, 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 and guilt and bitterness and all of these emotional problems that come into our lives, as they, as they set their roots in our, into our lives and they try to destroy us, what can we do? We can be content with such things as we have. Understanding that we are not going to live perfect lives. Stop it. Understanding that God is in control of all things. I've got about six minutes here and I'm, I'm, I'm not even close to being done. Number two, and I, I, we'll, we'll just, I'll just skip some things here. <clears throat> Number two, the jumping from unbelief to belief is one, learning how to believe. And, that, and, and learning how to believe has everything to do with being content. The second thing I want to talk about very quickly tonight is understanding mercy. Understanding mercy, because I think mercy is something that that is it's an attribute of God, but it's something that we don't understand. Because oftentimes we think that God is that heavy-handed God who's sitting in heaven looking down, just waiting for you to mess up so he can smack you across the head. That's not God. That is a false understanding of who God is. The reality is we serve a God who loves and is incredibly merciful. As we learn to believe, we've got to understand mercy. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And you hath he quickened or, or, or uh, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in times past ye walk according, uh, <coughs> according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all have conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the mind 
and were but by nature children of wrath, even as others. What is Paul saying here? We are all guilty of being dirtbags. Just saying. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. But God, we we deserve nothing. We de- <clears throat> you know, I, I think the the, um, the 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 commercials that that send me over the edge the the fastest are the ones that tell me that I deserve a new a new car. Okay, you you deserve to go to the Bahamas. Or, or you deserve, you know what? You know what I deserve tonight? No, I deserve something. I deserve, well, other than ice cream. Um, uh, seriously, I deserve hell. We all do. But God. But God. So how do we make the jump from unbelief to belief? It is because of His mercy. Mark Rich, a fugitive who had fled the United States during his uh, prosecution, was residing in Switzerland. Rich owed $48 million in taxes and was charged with 51 counts of fraud was pardoned uh, by President Clinton. And after the pardon, Clinton claimed that he was showing mercy by pardoning this criminal. My question is, that mercy? That is not mercy. That is, that is not mercy. I've read this illustration to you before and and I'll probably use it again because I believe this is one of the greatest illustrations of what true mercy is. A mother once approached Napoleon asking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense twice and justed demanded death. But I did not ask for justice, the mother explained. I am pleading for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy, replied Napoleon. Sir, she cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is what I'm asking for. Well then, the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared her son. That's mercy. That young man deserved to die for what he did. But the emperor had mercy. And that is the kind of God that we serve. Can you put that picture back up, Chris? 
<clears throat> I didn't put it in my notes, but I want to close with this with this chart right here. Now, I only got through about half of my notes, but hopefully tonight you have a little bit better understanding what it means to believe. All of these things, despair, anxiety, anger, discontentment, all of these things are symptoms of a very simple problem. Now, am I saying that every panic attack you have you just need to get right with God. That, that, that's not what I'm saying. Please understand what I'm trying to say. It is, a, it, is an, it is a symptom of something that's going on in your life that you need to get back to the cross. You need to understand what mercy is. You need to understand what, what God expects of you. One of the dangers that we as counselors can get into is to point our finger and say, oh, well, if you just do this, 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 and this, you'll be fine. When emotional pain is going on in someone's life, it's a journey to get there. And guess what? It's a journey to get back. In fact, oftentimes it's a longer journey to get back. Because you do not wake up one morning, flip a switch and say, okay, I believe now. It's a journey. And emotional, emotional pain is a very real thing for a lot of people. And if the people sitting in this room are not sensitive to that pain, who will be? The world doesn't care. The world's going to throw drugs at them and say, here, just take these drugs. You'll be fine. But the reality is contentment and mercy equals belief. And contentment is, is something that is learned. Learning to be content. Let's pray. Dear Lord.